Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, that is Jesus and his disciples. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? Speaking to the demons within this man. And he answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had got into the boat, he, had, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis All that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. The title of the message here this afternoon is The Confluence of Power and Compassion. That word confluence means the merger. The meeting, the confluence, the merger of power and compassion. Won't you pray with me? Lord, help me. Help me here today, God, to clearly articulate by your Spirit's power, God, your word, your truth, what you would like to communicate to every person that is here today, Lord. Help us to grasp what the Spirit says here today. Help us to receive with a ready heart. Now pray, God, we would see you as mighty, as awesome, as all-powerful. And by the same token that we would see you as compassionate and merciful, and one who is willing to stoop down even to the least of us. 
Have your way here today. Help me, God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. When you look at the attributes of God, he has a multitude of attributes. And all the attributes by which he has, he has infinitely. We know that God is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. We know that he is holy. We know that he is righteous. All these various attributes of God that we could go and have a list of. And all those things he has infinitely. And he is the source of those things. And the God of the universe by which we serve, he is powerful. And when I mean powerful, it was by the word of his mouth that he created worlds. It was by the word of his mouth that he created billions upon billions of galaxies. And within those galaxies, billions upon billions of stars that are millions of light years away from us. And the scientists tell us that the universe is continually expanding. And all the planets and the celestial bodies, all this just outside of Earth, you think about the wide expanse of universe, of the universe. And then you come to this little blue planet that has been uniquely fashioned to where it can sustain life. And this immense star called the sun that is just far away and just close enough to sustain life. And you see just the tilt of the earth and the wisdom in that. And then you see and you look at from a one-cell amoeba to the, intricate, the intricacies of a human body that God created. From the smallest of things to the greatest, you look at the, the body and the human systems in the body, your skeletal system, your muscular system, your endocrine system, your respiratory system. You, you think about how intricate your, just your body is and how all of it has to work in concert and in unison. You just take the human eyeball and science cannot re-engineer the engineering feat that the eyeball is. You are a wonder. Your body is a wonder. You as a creation of God are a wonder. And then you look around you and you see the sky, you see the stars, and you see the trees and creation and animals, and you just see all this around you. And as you investigate more and more and more, you realize how puny you are and how great this creator has to be. In his infinite wisdom, in his infinite power and majesty and awesomeness. He has created all of this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. When you look around you, this did not happen by accident. Your God-given conscience tells you so. And it's another conversation if we want to discuss which God is it. But you cannot deny there is an all-powerful creator, all-wise creator who has created all of this. And it's my belief, it's the God of this word, the God of this Bible. And you see, he is the ruler of the earth. The, the Bible says that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. That he is sovereign and nothing surprises him. He sees all, he knows all, he's in control, he's sovereign. He's the sovereign creator over all the universe. And you see how powerful and great he is. And, and not only... Is, the, is he the ruler and creator of all things? But he is also, he is also the source of all morality. 
He is the source as the moral law giver. And as the moral law giver, he is also the judge, the righteous judge. He has all power over all creation. And then he has power as righteous judge of all the earth. No man is hidden from his sight. He sees all, he knows all. We all stand naked before him. And he sees the hidden recesses of our hearts and of our minds. He sees it all. And because he is the moral law giver, he is the, the righteous judge who has the right to exact justice upon all creation. And you can see throughout the Old Testament how that judgment was much more immediate, was it? wasn't it? And many critics and skeptics of Christianity will say, see, if he's a God of loving kindness and compassion and mercy, why is there so much bloodshed in the Old Testament? And the simple answer is this, because we deserve it. I have transgressed the holy righteous law of a holy righteous God, and he has created the rules, he is the judge, and the wages that sin pays our death. He's the moral lawgiver. He's the judge. And that is the truth. Oh, but aren't you thankful for God's mercy and compassion? Jeremiah said in Lamentation, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. If it were not for God's compassion and loving kindness and grace, you would not even have a Bible. You would not have an Old Testament Israel. He judged them, yes, but he always extended mercy to the per person who was willing to receive it. He was always compassionate to the one who would receive that compassion, that grace. And when we look at the compassion of God, and we see, when we will look at here in a moment, the, the person of Jesus Christ. But when I talk about compassion or mercy... Compassion and mercy are very synonymous. You see them interchanged throughout translations in, in the New Testament. But compassion and mercy, the concept of compassion is that you are able to identify with somebody else's pain to the point that it moves you to action. That's what compassion is. And, and so when you look at this mighty God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, who's the righteous judge and who has all power and authority, to exact justice upon my life, that God, he has the capacity to show and has an infinite amount, this attribute of mercy. And the object of God's mercy is your misery. The object of God's mercy always is man's misery. He is attracted to the afflicted. That's his, because he is compassionate, he cannot help but stoop down and hear the cries of the afflicted. His mercy moves him to work on behalf of those who are in pain and in suffering. He hears, he knows, he sees, and not just that, but he desires to intervene into your life and do something about it. To do something about it. And it is supremely seen, this, this confluence, this merger of power and compassion, it is supremely seen in a bodily presence and manifestation in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That He was God incarnate and He came and lived 
among us. And you see in Jesus that he is, he is fully God, fully man. And the only limitation he had was a physical limitation. But the Bible tells us in Colossians 2 that for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Furthermore, while in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, he has come as high priest, it says in Hebrews. And because he has dwelt and lived among us and took on human flesh and, and, and lived as a human being, it says that he is able as our high priest to be a merciful and faithful high priest because he is able to identify with the infirmities of you and I. He's able to be moved by your affliction and your infirmities because he himself has lived it. And you see in the person of Jesus Christ this merger of absolute power and utter compassion. And it was exhibited continuously throughout his ministry, continuously throughout the Gospels. Oftentimes, and I believe most of the time, the motivation for Jesus healing people, saving people, delivering people was because he had compassion upon them. He saw people in their affliction. He saw people crying out. He saw the lowly. He saw the broken. He was anointed to preach to the poor, to the lowly, to the least of these. And he was full of compassion. He not only had the means, but also the capacity. That, the means meaning he had the power to meet the need, and he had the capacity to feel their pain. And that moved him to work on people's behalf and touch them. Heal them, save them, raise them from the dead, whatever it was. Whatever it was. I'm sure some of you can relate to this in the natural. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody is suffering and it may be physical or financial and you have the capacity to feel for them and you have compassion upon them and you want to do something but you yourself don't have the means to meet them where they're at. You have the compassion. You want to be merciful to them, but you don't have the power. You don't have the power to touch them where they're at, to help them. You know, you look at devastation throughout the world. You look at just in Nashville, the tornado that went through there and the people's lives that were taken. And you, you think about all the, the, the devastation from natural disasters, hurricanes and tsunamis, and you look at all the suffering of people, and then you see the suffering of, of disease you look at the coronavirus, how it's all over the news right now, and the people that have died from that. And you have immense compassion, don't you? You may even shed tears for them, but, but in yourself, you have no power to help them, do you? You can send a few dollars, but it won't make much of a difference totally. So you may have the capacity, but you don't have the means. And this man in Mark chapter 5 and actually, in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 8, it says that there were two men. And Mark only records one man. And we'll talk about just the one man. But the Bible tells us a few things about this man. It tells us that he had been demon-possessed for a long time. And as a matter of fact, if you recall reading, when I, when I read in um, the beginning of this, it says that 
And no one could bind him, not even with chains. In more modern translations, it says no one could bind him anymore. He had been demon-possessed for so long that at one time they could bind him with chains and with shackles. But it was apparent that the demonic presence in his life had increased and strengthened to the point that he had supernatural strength physically to overcome the power of men and the power of shackles and chains upon his physical body. He had been demon-possessed for a long time. No longer could he be tamed by men. And the Bible tells us that he wore no clothes. He was absolutely naked. Lived in absolute shame. He lived among the tombs. These tombs were, more often than not, these were caves or recesses hewn out in the side of a, a mountain or rock. And families would bury their family members there. And it is likely that he resided in unused tombs or caves that were among the dead. He lived and dwelt among the dead. And even the poor and the leprous would even use these type of caves to, to find some sort of refuge for themselves. And he himself, he lived among the dead. He lived among the dead. This was his existence. The Bible tells us that he was exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass. He harassed everyone who passed by him. He might as well have been an animal, a wild animal. All characteristics of human nature were nearly gone in this man, weren't they? No one could tame him anymore, and not even the shackles and the chains. And he was so spiritually afflicted that the Bible says he cried out night and day. And night and day he cut himself with stones. He cut himself. The devil is here to seek and to devour. He roams about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy your life in all facets and areas and ways. And he attacked him physically in multiple ways. And not only this, but here's what makes Jesus' ministry to this man very special. He was a Gentile. The area of the Gadarenes was east of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake. When it says that he and his disciples got off the boat, they had just sailed from the western border of the Sea of Galilee and gone over to the eastern border of the Sea of Galilee. And this area was a, a, the eastern portion of the Roman Empire, and it was full of pagans and Gentiles. Further indication that this was inhabited by Gentiles was what kind of livestock is in this story? Swine, pigs. Did Jews keep pigs? No. It's Gentiles, it's pagans, people who don't know God. As a matter of fact, the three years of Jesus' ministry, he was actually called to the sheep of Israel and not to the Gentiles yet. But even he himself made exceptions for people, didn't he? He reached out to the Samaritan woman and others. But he goes to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and Immediately, this man approaches him. And, and it's interesting, talking about our limitations. The Bible says that they had tried to bound him by shackles and chains. Okay? Think about this. His friends and his loved ones, they had compassion for him. Because he was harming himself and harassing others, they tried to restrain him. They tried, tried to keep him from harming himself, harming others. They tried to, to maintain and tried to tame him 
I can imagine if he had a mother or a father or siblings or maybe even a wife. They loved this man. And they wanted to see him whole and well. And they tried their best to keep him from harming himself and harming others. But even the compassion of those people was not enough because they had no power over the devil. They had no power over the devil. And as Jesus, as he shows up on the scene, this is the most beautiful thing. As he shows up on the scene, this demon-possessed man who has a multitude of demons, enough demons to go and fill 2,000 swine, the first thing that this demon-possessed does, he runs to Jesus as the Son of God, and he falls down prostrate. And the same demons... The same demons who had disallowed the people to tame him. The same demons that led him into the caves and he cried out night and day. The same demons that caused him to cut himself. The same demons that caused him to go around naked and to harass people. Those same demons in the presence of the Son of the living God, they bowed down before him and they begged him. The devil begged the Son of God because not only was he full of compassion, but he came in the full authority of God the Father. And the same demons who had overcome him for years and years and years, and no man could tame him, no man could help him, in the presence of the Son of God, they bow down and they say, Have mercy, have mercy. Don't send us into the abyss. At least send us into the swine. Think about that. That is the power of Jesus Christ. That is the power of the Son of the living God. That is the power of my Savior. And he bows down before Jesus. And he says, please don't send us into the abyss. These legion of demons. And by a word, the same simple word where he spoke worlds into existence, by the word from his mouth, he said, go. And those demons ran, went into those swine, and those swine went down the steep place into the sea, and they were drowned. And everybody was afraid. They had just seen something they've never seen in their life. And they went and told the people in the villages. They came back. And what was the result? This is beautiful. The result of this man, this crazed man, this afflicted man, this man who was suffering, who had no power in himself, who had no hope, even from his own family and friends, this same man, the Bible says three things. He was sitting. He was clothed. And he was in his right mind. He's sitting. Where once before, no man could tame him. Where once before, he was going about as a wild animal. Out of control. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know what that represents? That represents him seeing Jesus as his Lord and himself now as a disciple. And he's sitting at the feet of the man who just delivered him and saved his life. And he's looking up at this Jesus. 
and he's just mesmerized by his compassion and his power and his ability to reach him where he was. And the Bible says he was clothed. He's clothed physically, but he's also clothed spiritually. He's now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's now clothed with the power from on high. No longer is he clothed with the righteous acts of men. He is clothed physically and he is clothed spiritually with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is covered by the blood. He is preserved from judgment. And then he is there in his right mind. He's got a sound mind. Paul told Timothy, for the for God has not given us a spirit of fear, that is, a spirit of cowardice or timidity, but he has given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I love you, Jesus. I'm sitting at your feet. You've given me power. I'm clothed. I'm clothed with your power, with your righteousness, with your goodness. And then I'm sitting here with a transformed and renewed mind. I have a sound, self-controlled, disciplined mind. You have done that. No drugs can do that. No amount of self-help can do that. Only an all-powerful and all-compassionate God can do that. He not only had the means, that is the power, but what caused him to reach out thy hand and touch him was his compassion, was his mercy, was his desire to meet this man in the midst of his misery. And if you look here at the text, I conclude here. Come help me, please. It says in verse 18, And when he had gotten into the boat, that is Jesus, he who had been demon-possessed, begged him that he might be with him. The last time that man begged was the demons inside of him, begging that he would, they wouldn't be cast into the abyss, but cast into those swine. And now this man, clothed in his right mind, full of love and power, he begs Jesus, can I go with you? Can I follow you? Can I be a disciple? How does Jesus respond? He says, however, Jesus did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends. Go to your parents. Go to your wife, maybe. Go to your children. Go to your family. Go to the village. Go to the same people who had just seen you in bondage to the devil and the powers of darkness. Go and show every person that you're now clothed physically, but now you're clothed with salvation and power from on high, and you have a sound mind. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Don't just speak of God's power to deliver. 
Speak also of his compassion upon you, which was his motivation. And that is the same motivation that the Lord seeks towards you. And it's the same nature and spirit of ministry he wants you to walk in. You walk in the power of his might, of his spirit. And what leads you to lay hands on people, what leads you to minister to people, is not because you want to exhibit this power, but it's because you have compassion upon their current state. The mercy of God compels you. The love of God compels you to lay hands. And then the power of God allows you to minister and meet the need of those people. That's the way to minister. That's the same way that Jesus ministered. And that's what he did with this man. It was the confluence of power and compassion. And when you have those together, it is a lethal weapon against hell and darkness. And it says here, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. That is, there's ten cities there on this eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he went throughout the entire region and he began to proclaim all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. You are a marvel to the world. Because it was a supernatural act of God on high. When you deserve judgment, he gave you mercy. And you've been saved from the pit of hell. If not for his mercies and compassions, we would be in hell right now. But he offers you a free gift of grace and mercy. His salvation, his power. Because he loves and he is full of compassion. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Would you just begin to thank the Lord for his mercy and compassion in your own very life? We thank you, Jesus. Lift your voices.